One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League All Access podcast with me, Sam Matterface, alongside me once again, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and former Benfica, Chelsea and West Ham heartthrob, Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up. Clarkey, ex-roommate, now Scotland manager, comes across as a bit sort of boring. If you really want to boil it down, I think it's between England and France. I think they're the best two, two uh, countries in, in Europe. Um, obviously, other countries will have a chance, but I think that they are the best too. So you need everyone to be at it. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, you say he's a good finisher. Is he is he going to score the goals to get Arsenal to where they want to be? Is he going to score goals against top international opponent? I guess you have to give him the opportunity, but I think this has come a little bit too soon for Eddie and Ketty. I think... People don't appreciate how difficult a job it is. I'm, and I'm talking more about the referees than I am talking about VAR. Um, how, how fast the game is played now and how many correct decisions they do get. Hello, gentlemen. How's the international break treating you so far? Because there's actually not even much League One and Two football this weekend, is there? So what is everybody up to? Uh, I've been on the beach a lot. Um, I've been I've been to Goodwood horse racing. You were both invited to that and both snubbed my invitation. And I've been on Northern Ireland duty. So yeah, keep him busy. Right, Sam, do you want to go there on the Goodwood in- invite or shall I? I'll let you take it. So 24 hours before, I'm inviting him to Chelsea <laughs> Brighton, you know, free food, free champagne, free this, free that. Three weeks in advance. He, I get a text off him day before Goodwood. Scott, do you want to come to Goodwood? So clearly someone's backed out, his best mate or whatever, and now he's gone for like the second tier group of people in his life. So 24 <laughs> hours ahead, just just can't do it. But look, in, in terms of what I'm doing, Char- yeah, Charlton is um, is postponed, the, the, the Wigan game. So I've got a free weekend. I'm working with Crookie. I think we are Crookie, aren't we? One till four on Saturday. Uh, yeah, we, we, we jumped into Sam's grave on that one because I was second choice behind oh. Matterface. He wasn't available. Uh, so it's you and I. Should be fun. There you go. Okay, right. That will be interesting. I I might have a listen to that uh, for a couple of minutes. Um, Right. Um, I know it's Premier League all access, but there's no Premier League this weekend. International football uh, is going to take centre stage, uh, but we aren't going to limit ourselves to England because after we've looked at Gareth's side, we'll be picking through the week that Manchester United have had and mapping out what we think of the opening month of the Premier League season as well. We'll ask who's impressed, who's surprised, Who's worried us and who's delighted us? But shall we kick things off this week with England? Two games for Gareth Southgate's men, and they are both live on Talk Sport.
Ukraine fans will be here, ready to make a noise, proudly supporting their players, their team, and their nation, which is in crisis and at war back home. Zinchenko with a volley, and that is a super goal. Ukraine hit the front at Hampton Park. Into Nketiah, great turn. Oh, what a finish. A really proud moment for me, my family and friends. Um, I think this is obviously the pinnacle for an English player to get called up for a senior team. Henderson to Saka into a shooting position. That is an absolute beauty. I just want to win everything with England. I think it's just pretty much that simple. There's a qualifier to be won. It's England against Ukraine live on TalkSport. So one qualifier and one friendly for England this week. Ukraine Saturday evening and Scotland next week. Quick answer before we do a deep dive. Are we expecting anything other than two wins? Scott? Yes, I think we are expecting something other than two wins. Okay, Alex? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Scott. Yeah, I'm not sure they win both. Hmm. Okay, well, I think probably most of us think that it's the Scotland game that's going to cause them most grief. Uh, so we'll get to that a little bit later on. Let's start with Ukraine. They've got lots of players in Europe's top five leagues, but they just about nicked a win over Malta and North Macedonia when England was smashing both opponents during the summer four and seven. Is there anything really to be cautious about here, Crook? I'm not sure there is, to be honest. Um, obviously, the game is an away game, but it's being played on neutral ground. It's going to be an emotional occasion as far as Ukraine are concerned, as it is every time they play. But I just don't think they have the quality. Um, I was in Rome when England smashed them at at the European Championships. I've seen them a couple of times since then. Obviously, their their poster boy is Mikhailo Mudrik, but he's having an absolute nightmare at club level. So I think if England turn up, they, they, they do a professional job. They play to the best of their capabilities. I think this should be quite comfortable. Um, Shankov and Dovbik are playing in Spain. Zabanyi is only 21, but playing for Bournemouth on a week-to-week basis. This is a team that has evolved and did recently hold Germany to a 3-3 draw. That was back in March, Scott. But I suppose (laughs) Germany aren't in great shape. And England are, aren't they? Because a win would see them move nine points clear of their European rivals, albeit with Italy still having two games in hand. Yeah, look, it's been a superb start to the group, hasn't it, for for Gaia Southgate and and four straight victories. And... You know, on paper, this is probably the, the the most difficult of the ones remaining. Of course, it, Italy will will be difficult as well. I, I, listen, I think if it had been played in the Ukraine, it would be really, really tough. I don't, you know, we know that Ukrainians are a very proud nation and what they're going through. So every time they put on that jersey, there's a big thing. They do have really good players, you know. And if I were Mikola Mudrik and and Sam being sort of you know Chelsea related, I'm really interested to see how he's going to be in this game because what I would want to do. If I'm in the league of a country that I'm playing against and it's not going well, or even if it was going well, I'd want to show them what my capabilities are and say, okay, I'm a little bit more at home with the players around me here. So I'm really interested in his performance. Obviously, there's there's Zinchenko, there's Yarmolenko, ex-West Ham as well. uh, And Yaramchuk, who used to be at Benfica, I used to watch a couple of seasons ago. Whether he'll actually start, I'm not too sure. But, you know, there's a few players there that I'm just keeping an eye out for. I'm not able to watch the game live, but I'm looking forward to watching it when when I do in full. Um, In Wroclaw, there will be quite a huge Ukrainian contingent, as we saw when Daniel Dubois went there to fight Alexander Usyk recently. So there will be quite a home bias in terms of the atmosphere, as there should be, uh, because it is normally a home game for Ukraine. 
Um, but England have been pretty good in hostile environments over the last couple of years. But their squad itself has has come under scrutiny. We'll get onto the makeup of that in just a second. But after they've finished with Ukraine, they will entertain Scotland. They'll go up to Edinburgh and um, it's actually Glasgow, isn't it? sorry, Hampden Park, uh, and play Scotland. Steve Clark's men have been in great form recently. Beat Spain. I mean, I think we'll probably do more of a pe- preview of that next week. So. Sunday afternoon, Monday morning. But this is one where I I don't think I'd be taking it for granted because this is a team now that have started to knit performances together on a regular basis, Scott. Absolutely. And, you know, Clarkey's not just a former teammate of mine, but a couple of times was a roommate as well. So really pleased to see him doing so well because it has been tough and there is a dearth of, of talent, what they used to be with Scotland. But he's really got them in a great place right now. And, you know, to I, 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 you asked that question initially, what do you see happening or do you see two wins? I, I think it'd be very arrogant for anybody to say that we should go up there with how they're playing at the moment, us coming off the back of a trip to Poland, playing Ukraine and should go there and blitz Scotland. I, I'm not sure it is going to happen. We know in the Euros, um, you, you know, we, we couldn't get the victory against them and that was in England. I think it's going to be the atmosphere is going to be amazing. I wish I was there. I really do. But Clarkey's got them playing in exactly the right way that they need to. And this is going to be a tough game. Um, Clarkey, ex-roommate, now Scotland manager, comes across as a bit sort of mm, boring. (laughs) (laughs) Was he boring when he was a a teammate, when he was a roommate? Or did you get up to all sorts of hijinks? Dower. I prefer dower to boring. well, you said that's a dower room. Is that what you're saying? Clark, I was going to say, it's not the kind of room I'd like to be in. It would be a little, it, it, actually, it sort of reminds me a little bit of me and Crook room sharing. I'm the dower boring one, and he's the party animal that goes off to IB. We're sort of a bit of a downgrade on Clarky and Minto, aren't we? Uh, whereas, <laughs> yeah, you would go off to IB for Crook, would go off to the local boozer. Um, Clarky would sit there reading sort of coaching manuals. I'd be on Netflix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That sort of thing. Was he was he always as dour, or or is he? You know, did he spice life up? How 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 does Steve Carr kick back? I, I good question. Twenty five years ago, uh, even longer. I can't even remember what I did twenty five days ago, Sam. Um, but I, I think he's become more closed now because he's he's been a manager for so long, and there's there's so many uh, people asking silly questions that he has to answer to. So I think a bit like the one a, I just asked you, I suppose I, I, you may say that I couldn't possibly comment. Um, yeah. but, but no, it, is, it was a, do you know what? It was just a fantastic professional. What I would say about him, I think it was very underrated as a player. He was that a says really, boring, really doesn't it? He was a fantastic professional. That says boring. All of <laughs> that's boring written all over it. <laughs> did, I, he have a, did he play Scrabble? I have not put the words Clarky and boring in the same sentence up until that moment there. But um, no, I don't remember him playing Scrabble. But no, he was uh, he was very dry uh, it, with his sense of humour, liked to drink, but but did it at the right time. And of course, converted himself from a right back to a almost a left side centre half. He was the guy behind me in, in the three at the back at Chelsea. So no, I really enjoyed playing with him um, on the field. And it was just the odd time off the field with roommates. And he was a terrific servant for Chelsea as well. He was club captain for a very long time, then went into coaching there as well. So he, he's played a big part in, in Chelsea's history, but he's also playing a big part in the sort of renaissance of Scotland as well. He's really got them uh, ticking along nicely. We will talk about that 
uh, a, a little bit more detail over the weekend. Um, Crook, we're entering a new cycle for England, and, and you covered the England Under-21 Championships. Um, it's a full season before we go to the Euros with the, the, the men's team. Yet the squad looks very similar to the one that went to the World Cup. Um, should it, could there have been one or two inclusions, more than one or two inclusions, we've got Levi Colwell, uh, from the under-21s that you saw win earlier in the summer? Do you know what? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I was asked the question immediately after they won the final, which of these players is going to go on and, and have a full international career, which could push for a place at the senior Euros next summer. And the only name I could really give was Levi Colwell. I think he had an excellent tournament um, at the heart of that England defence. Obviously, he came into it on the back of a brilliant season at Brighton. I don't think he's actually started the season particularly well uh, at Chelsea, but he's been used out of position at times. But in terms of other players from the squad, maybe if he has a good year at Forest, Morgan Gibbs-White could have a, a, a claim. But you've got to think Emil Smith-Rowe's not playing regularly for Arsenal. Anthony Gordon was utilised by the under-21s in a different position than he tends to play for Newcastle, although he has started the season quite well, so he might fancy his chances. But no, at the moment, I don't think there are too many from that under-21 squad that can feel aggrieved that they're not in this uh, in this squad, unless, certainly for that second game against Scotland, you could make an argument for Gareth maybe experimenting and trying out some younger players. But obviously, the priority against Ukraine is t- to get the job done and move a step closer to qualification. Absolutely, because the main aim is winning the European Championships, not experimenting. It's about cementing a team, formulating a group that's going to challenge for top honours. Cole Palmer might be another one who, if he has a good season, might well come onto the radar at some point. I had Anthony Gordon written down as well because he was terrific in that European Championships in the summer. Uh, But the player, actually, who I think maybe I wanted to see more than anything else was Angel Gomez who was arguably one of England's best Mm. players during that tournament. And it was interesting when we were doing sort of like a reflection on the squad. You know, how are we still picking Maguire? How are we still picking Phillips? How are we still picking Henderson? The reason I got drawn to Angel Gomez was because the question came up, who would you replace those players with? Uh, Maguire we can talk about in a minute, but let's talk about that midfield area. In the specific deep-line midfield position, the holding midfield position, who else plays there apart from Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice? Week in, week out. If you can give me a name of someone that plays there right now, say it out loud. Do it. I think you've nailed okay. it. And actually, when, when we were having this conversation privately, I'd forgotten about Angel Gomez. Maybe Gareth has as well because he's not playing in the Premier League, but... I, th- I think you make a really good case there, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I feel but- a little bit for James Ward-Prowse, but he's not that type of midfielder, is he? No, no. Uh, but Angel Gomez, the problem with him is, is that he's not that type of player either. So when reflecting on who else could play or be picked in that position, my mind immediately went to, well, who did the under-21s have playing there? And they had to convert an attacking midfield player into a deeper-lying playmaker because there wasn't anybody available. Mm. And that, Scott, probably gets to the nub of some of the problems that Gareth has. No, it does. And it's why he's picked Calvin Phillips. And I would like to see, not necessarily in the Ukraine game, but certainly in the Scotland game, he needs minutes. You know, he's not getting enough minutes for his club. We know how well he did for England in the Euros. Um, and and you want to see him playing again. But, you know, the, the name that actually came into my head and it could be different by the time of the summer, would be Jordan Henderson. 
And yet, how will he be in a sort of physical state playing, you know, top, is it top level football? Is he going to be at the situation where he's ready to play in the Euros? I genuinely believe, Sam, that if we really want to boil it down, I think it's between England and France. I think they're the best two, two uh, countries in in Europe. Um, obviously, other countries will have a chance, but I think that they are the best two. So you need everyone to be at it. So at this moment in time, if Declan Rice was injured, we need Calvin Phillips fit because it's a massive step up from the under-21s. And I agree with Crookie. And, you know, I was watching the final and I, I, I just thought to myself, there's not many people that that can make that step up. It's not just the physical and technical. It's a mental thing playing for your country in a major tournament. And I think Levi Colwell, also because I think the centre-back is up for grabs anyway, alongside John Stones, and obviously he's not even fit at the moment. I think it's a wonderful opportunity for him. I don't think there's a lot of others that could step into, you know, the other attacking players you're talking about. We have a... We, I mean, we are absolutely knee-deep in in brilliant attacking players. I think it's going to be very difficult for anyone from the under-21s to break into that squad by next summer. And that is why, Crook, he's quite happy to turn around to Raheem Sterling and say, you've got to do it more often. You've got to be more consistent. You can't just have a bright start to the season and come back into this squad after being absent for six, nine months now. You've got to make sure that you perform on a regular basis. He can do that with Raheem Sterling because he has got a battalion of attacking players who are playing not only regularly, but playing well in his positions. You've got Bakayo Saka's first name on the team sheet. You've got Harry Kane. You've got James Madison. You've got Marcus Rashford, who might not be in top form, but has been more consistent over the course of the last year than Raheem Sterling. You've got players in that attacking area that need to be dislodged for Sterling to come back in. So he can be a little bit more brutal with him. You can't do that with Calvin Phillips. No, correct. I mean, I, I did feel for Raheem when the squad was announced. I seem to have found myself at every Chelsea game, bar the one they won against Luton when I thought he was exceptional. But actually in all of the other games... They don't win many, mate. <laughs> they don't win when I'm there, that's for sure. Uh, but in, in the other games that I've watched, I think he has been their standout player. Obviously, I think during the last round of internationals, he almost took the decision to remove himself from selection because he didn't feel like he was physically in the right place. I think he is now and mentally too. So I think he sees it as a a bit of a snub, if he's being honest. Um, you don't much get to pick and choose when you go and play for England. And I think that's probably a good thing, right? That Gareth says, well, hold on. You, you know, if you weren't ready last time, but now you're ready all of a sudden, doesn't mean I have to pick you. If I've got other players that have done well, and they did, by the way, in the summer then I don't have to go straight back to you. I can make you work a little bit for it. I, I think yeah. that's what's happened. I think I think Gareth has said, you made yourself unavailable for the summer. So certainly for the first squad, sorry, I'm going to keep it with the same. As you say, results and performances were good anyway. But, but look, the bottom line is, Sam, if you're coming up to the Euros now and Raheem Sterling is in this form, he has to be not just in your squad, yeah. but for me, in your team. I think he has been superb. I didn't see the Forest game in full, but the first few games at the start of the season, he was brilliant. Um, and, and you need him in there. But I think Gareth is basically saying, okay, you made yourself unavailable. I'm making you unavailable right now. I, I did watch the Forest game in full because I have got two weeks off and I'm very sad. And I spent my, my, my Tuesday morning watching the whole of Nottingham Forest against Chelsea back. Um, and then I watched um, Mike Tyson against Buster Douglas, a whole mm. proper full replay of that particular fight. 
the second hour of that I had was much better than the first hour. I must admit. Um, I thought I mean, he didn't play particularly well against um, um, Nottingham Forest, but nobody did. Kaiseido was terrible, um, but he, I think he's still settling into the role that he's expected to play. The whole team didn't really function particularly well. Um, Harry Maguire. Let's get on to Alex Crook's favourite subject. He's in the squad. Again, lots of people saying he shouldn't be picked. However, no John Stones, no Luke Shaw available. So you're taking quite a lot of experience out of that back line anyway. Obviously, Eric Dyer can't be picked because he can't even get in the Spurs squad. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's the type of road that Gareth is going down now anyway. He has picked Dunk, Colwell, Gurhi and Tamori as four other centre-backs. Now, don't shoot the messenger here, but would you go into these two games with four centre-backs that have only got eight caps between them. It's a tricky one. And it'll be interesting to see when the starting lineup comes out, actually. Will Maguire be in it or, or will he go for inexperience? I'd imagine that Maguire probably starts, certainly starts the Ukraine game again. Maybe he might experiment uh, against Scotland. I, I felt a little bit for Maguire when he came on at the weekend because obviously United are in a good position actually looked to have won the game at one stage when he's on the pitch, end up losing 3-1. And there will be people who try and scapegoat him. The Arsenal fans were singing his name, which probably was quite uncomfortable listening. Um, I think he sees England as a bit of a sanctuary, to be honest. And I've never argued he, he hasn't let England down. I will argue that actually, more often than not, the standard of opponent isn't particularly high. But I think if you look at his England form, it's difficult to make a case for him not being in the first eleven. Yeah, the standard opponent was really low when they played Germany in the quarterfinal of the <laughs> championships. Italy um, in the Euros, yeah, yeah. In, in the final itself as well. Listen, and, I think uh, the problem with him, and I think you're absolutely right, he sees England as, as, a, as a sanctuary. Um, but I also think he is scapegoated on a number of occasions. And listen, I think we do get a little bit, am I wrong here? Do we get a little bit sort of concerned by, oh, they've got to be playing well for their club and, you know, if they're not doing it, Week in, week out in the Premier League, they can't do it in, in a major tournament. When actually, all that really matters is that when you get to the England game in the tournament, you've got a player who performs for you. It doesn't matter what they've done at Manchester United over the course of the year. It doesn't matter what Calvin Phillips has done at Manchester City. Yes, arguably, they'll be better prepared if you've got an ideal situation where these players are playing loads of minutes. But the truth is, is that 90 minutes that it boils down to is the one where it really matters in the tournament. And if that player turns up and plays well, the rest of it is pretty irrelevant, right? Do, do you know what, Sam? You, if he turns up and plays well, you're right. And I love the fact that you're trying to, um, you know, look on the positive for, for Harry Maguire because I, I am a fan of his, especially from the psychological side of... We've spoken about, can you can you imagine walking out for England knowing that a lot of the country are waiting for you to make a mistake before you've even kicked a ball? So I think he's been superb in an England shirt, but the best way to get a good performance in an England shirt is to be playing for your, for your club and to be playing well. This can't go on. He can't be fourth, fifth choice for Manchester United and not playing minutes. And we get to the Euros for a second season where he's not been playing for his club and expect to suddenly hit the ground running against what will be, especially in the latter uh, stages, the top teams around Europe. Um, so you're absolutely right. But the best way to get there is to be playing club football and playing well. And he needs to sort that out between now and the end of the season. It's going to be fascinating to see what, he, what happens in January for him. OK, uh, uh, do you want to just quickly give us any reflections on what Henderson said this week? Um, I, I mean, he did the interview. 
you knew what he was going to say. He was never going to go into it more than that. He couldn't go into it more than that. You, you knew that he, he might as well have said nothing. He, I thought he, it was he probably would have been. He probably would have been better advised not to say anything. But ultimately, he's, he, at some point, he had to speak about it. But I'm not sure. Sam, he didn't. Is the right he word. didn't. It was just a little bit sort of. It was a bit. It was a bit tepid, wasn't it? It was a bit weak. It needed to be a little bit bolder than that, I think. He he didn't need to go there. He comes across as in denial at best, lying at worst. Um, and do you know what? I I support him in his decision. He he, but his his family comes first, and a priority comes in for his family. And I think that's why he's getting a lot of stick because he's been so supportive beforehand. But the interview itself, he didn't need to do. He comes across as, as I say, at best in denial, and I just think it was a bit of a car crash in that in that respect. Okay. Um, Eddie Nketiah has been picked in the squad. A lot of stories circulating that he's only been called up to make sure he pledges allegiance to England over Ghana. Um, I actually think he's a really good finisher, Eddie Nketiah. And this is a guy who scored more goals for the under-21s than anybody else. So let's hear from him talking about the fact that he's had a good start to the season. He feels as if he's looking sharp. I always try to each each summer try and get that little head start obviously before pre-season and obviously this season I had a, a really good camp I felt fresh felt good and obviously came into Arsenal and had a good pre-season where they, they worked us really hard so I think what helps is obviously the fact I've had opportunities as well from the start which has been nice obviously getting the first few starts so that allows you to build that rhythm and that kind of confidence and you know, gain and I think with every game I'm playing I feel more comfortable and getting better so Hopefully I can stay stay in the team and help contribute and keep contributing to the team. I quite like Eddie Nketiah. I've got a bit of a soft spot for him, Crook. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, you say he's a good finisher. Is he, is he going to score the goals to get Arsenal to where they want to be? Is he going to score goals against top international opponent? I, I guess you have to give him the opportunity, but... I think this has come a little bit too soon for Eddie Nketiah. I'm, I'm not sure that his early season form necessarily has justified a call-up. Yes, he's done really well for the under-21s. You say he scored more goals than anybody else. He's won more caps, isn't he, than anybody else pretty much for the under-21s as well. No, um, that's wrong. I think there are that's up, a lie of I think, statistics. <laughs> I think there are other players. You know, Ollie Watkins, for example, I think should be ahead of Nketiah in, in the pecking order. Unless this How many is goals Gareth. he scored this season? Go on, you tell me. None. Yeah, but he's been part of an Aston. But he offers more <laughs> than just goal scoring, and and you know he did have a brilliant season last year. So that, what did. I would say about this, I think they're one, just looking. I think you're just looking at him, aren't they? They're looking at alternatives. Yeah. They, he's never really settled on a second one, has he? No. But but tell me if I'm wrong. It's very difficult, isn't it, to to pick a squad when you've only seen players play four Premier League games. Some some clubs have only played three Premier League games in the case of True. Burnley and Luton. So I think you have to take last season and what happened in June into into account as well. And I'm just not sure it, over the whole sort of last what seven eight months that Eddie Nketiah necessarily deserves his call up. Scott, what do you think of Eddie Nketiah? No, look, I understand where Crookie's coming from, but I've actually been really impressed with him. I'm not sure he is the guy that's going to take Arsenal to winning a Premier League title or a Champions League at this moment in time. But I've seen a marked improvement in him. I really have. And this season with his movement, it, it, he reminds me of a very young, and I don't, again, I don't want to compare and put pressure on him, but I'm sure he is a young Ian Wright, the way he moves. I played with Jermaine Defoe when he came through the ranks at, at West Ham. He's almost got that little sort of, that movement that is so difficult for the centre-backs to to read. And his touch is getting better. 
His finishing, I think, is getting better as well. He's showing great potential. So I do think it's a it's a reason to, as you exactly as you said, Sam, have a look at him and make him feel a little bit comfortable. Because if he has, if he does have a great season with Arsenal, when they do get close to winning the title, his confidence will be high come the Euros. So so why not have a look at him now? Okay, let's have a quick rattle through some of the other big stories uh, with England. Uh, ben White also missing again. Uh, yes or no answer? Is he finished as an international player while Southgate is the boss? Crook. I think he probably is. I think we still don't really know the the full story as to what happened when he came home from the World Cup. I think the fact he's continued to ignore him when certainly last season he was one of Arsenal's key men. Yeah, I, I think it's difficult to see a way back. I think Gareth Southgate is someone actually. Once you once you fall foul of him, you know, despite the fact he's got this Mister Nice Guy, Mister Understanding Image, I think he does bear a little bit of a grudge, and you have to oh, really yes. work hard to, to get yourself back in. Just ask Marcus Rashford. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. And I think I've said that to you privately as well uh, over the course of the last few years. He has a steely side that people don't always see. Um, Scott uh, reports this week that the the FA want Pep to replace Gareth Southgate. Is that realistic? Does the England manager need to be English? Look, I mean, I'm just going to say this now. If Pep Guardiola wants the England job, here you go. Here's the keys. How much do you want for it? There's a blank check. It's fine. Yeah, I wanted to go out with Cindy Crawford in the 80s as well, but it didn't quite happen. Um, it might happen yeah. now for you. <laughs> Some things are worth waiting for. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Um, look, of course, who wouldn't want Pep Guardiola? He's, he's not going to manage England, not right now. He's not. Um, he's, 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 he's there with Man City. I heard Simon Jordan talk about Klopp. I wouldn't have a problem with that, despite him being, you know, foreign and, and German. I, look, the bottom line is, if you're going to get a top, 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 top manager, okay, I'll take it not being foreign, but I would prefer him to be English and if not British. Um, but if 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 a Klopp or Pep is up for it, pff, off from the world, absolutely. That's my Cindy Crawford. I noticed it's, that Graham Potter has turned down Leon. In the last I was about to say that. Is that a coincidence that, that Graham Potter keeps turning down jobs? I mean, the, the Leicester one just came too soon after he was fired by Chelsea. But you'd have thought if he wanted to get back in, Leon, you know, the type of character that Graham Potter is, having worked abroad already, that would tick a lot of boxes. Is he holding out in case Gareth Southgate does leave, as we expect him to at the end of the Euros? Or is he holding out for Newcastle as well? Because I think, um, obviously, he's got a close relationship with Dan Ashworth, their sporting director. Mm, interesting. Uh, maybe he's just on uh, a 19-year contract from Chelsea. He's on gardening leave and he's having quite a nice time. I don't know. You never know. Um... I, I, I don't see it. Sorry, Sam, just very quickly on Graham Potter. I don't see it. I think the, everyone's saying he couldn't handle the pressures and the, and the egos of, of Chelsea. And I think it's a... I think he just needs a, another job to show that he can. I do believe he can. It was the right man for at the wrong time at the wrong club. Um, but it, I think he needs another um, club before he can be thought of as England manager. But you never know. Okay. Um, I think I it was the this Premier League All Access podcast and its previous guys where you learnt first that Carlo Ancelotti would be the new Brazil manager. Uh, we've been telling you that for a while and uh, that has been confirmed over the last few months. I am going to chuck this out there now. Pep Guardiola and England will happen one day. Just leaving it there. Just leaving yeah. it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Evan Ferguson needed one more competitive appearance 
uh, for Ireland to confirm that he will always be an Irish player. You have to play a certain number of competitive caps. If you do that, then you are locked in, right? You can't change allegiance. He needed one more and then felt his knee. Ow. Ooh, it's sore. Uh, obviously, that means after the hat-trick at the weekend, social media is going crazy. Jeremy, who is the producer of this podcast, is having an absolute meltdown. Cannot believe this is going to happen. He's going to do a, a, a Grealish and a Rice. He's going to flip, and he's going to uh, he's going to end up going and playing for England. It's not happening. Sources tell Premier League All Access his knee injury is a knee problem, and actually he's far too scared of Roy Keane to switch allegiances. He's Irish, he feels Irish, and this is what he said when he was previously asked about it. Um, he said, it's not going to happen. No, my mam is English, so that's where the tie-in comes. But I've seen a few saying, oh, Willie, Willie, but I can tell you now, it's a no. I wouldn't be allowed back in by my dad. <laughs> so I unless he's had a massive is- change of heart. Well, this is wishful thinking on behalf of producer Jeremy, um, who likes to be a little bit mischievous. But yeah, I, I, I don't see it. I mean, obviously, there's history with Declan Rice and Jack Grealish, but Evan Ferguson's proper Irish, isn't he? Um, yeah. So I, I think I think he'll stay loyal to Ireland, which is a shame because I do think in years to come, he could be certainly the best number nine in the Premier League and, and maybe being talked about in the same kind of terms that we lavish on Harry Kane, for example. But he is Irish, and um, I don't think it's wishful thinking on the uh, point of Jeremy, actually. I think it's just doom-mongering, because he would like (laughs) Evan Fergus to very much stay as an Irish international. Okay, let's move on to All Matters Premier League now, starting with Manchester United, who face more controversy off the field again. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Jaden was uh, on his performance on the training. We didn't select him. You have to reach uh, a level every day on Manchester United, and we can make choices in the front line 
yeah, and so for this game he wasn't selected. I think with Jadon Sancho, he's not a Manchester United player. He's not good enough to play for Manchester United. He's back Sancho. He's tried to help Sancho last year, and sometimes as an individual and as a manager, he's not happy with what he's seen in training, so he's left him out. You feel let down and disappointed. I don't mind managers coming out and hammering players. I think you've got to respond and show resilience. The manager probably sees things from everyone's perspective. The player sees things from their own perspective. I don't really see him playing for Man United again. The best thing they can do is recognise the fact that the player isn't good enough at this level and move him on. Well, it's been a tricky week uh, for Manchester United fans. In fact, it's been a tricky time for Manchester United fans who have a discord between owners and supporters. Um, you've got a player challenging the manager's authority, two players embroiled in domestic abuse storms, injuries, poor form and performances that are lacking cohesion. Who'd want to be Eric Ten Hag right now? Scott? I wouldn't want to be the little ball genius right now who's not that little. Um, and is he a genius. genius? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of things there, isn't there? Both football-related and non-football-related, which, to be fair, when the non-football-related stuff, I think um, the club have to take control of that situation and and tell him whether you know someone like Anthony will will be picked or, or, or not. Um, although I don't think that will come because that, that takes leadership. And as um, as Crookie knows, the Glazers don't have late leadership. Uh, it's it's not good. And I spoke with Hugh Wisencroft uh, on Wednesday night about Jaden Sancho. And, you know, I, I personally think, you know, back in our day, there wasn't even social media. So, you know, you didn't even have anything to go on to. But you'd knock down the door of the manager and you'd have a word. But... I think he's he's tried his best. I think what happened last season, he sent uh, Sancho away a few weeks, tried to help him, expected more. He's not training well. I think from a club point of view, it's not good because I, I think he wants Sancho out and other clubs will come in and, and bid low. But there's so many things going on. And if you actually even just boil it down to the stuff on the pitch, Sam, it's been a nightmare. It's not been good at all. Obviously, you know, a, a linesman or a VAR decision away from possibly winning at Arsenal, but the tactics weren't particularly great. You know, got away with that 1-0 win uh, against Wolves, lost shockingly in the second half against Spurs and were 2-0 down against Nottingham Forest. So I don't think there's been anything to be positive about. And I know you predicted them as possibly, um, you know, winning the title. And I actually thought to myself, do you know what? Maybe in terms of the value bet, that's a value bet. They, they look a million miles away from that now. They don't even look a top four side. Yeah, um, I, I said they would challenge for the title. Um, they may not even challenge for a top half place the way things are going at this moment in time. Calm That's down, it's four games. I, I'm joking, yourself. I was winding you up. Chill out. God, see, like, you're such a, easy to get a bite out of. It's like literally, you just dangle your rod with the words MUFC on it in front of his face and he just snaps it like a shark <laughs> who's been starved for a week. Um, do you want to start with Anthony? Because uh, he's been dropped by Brazil. Um, under investigation by Greater Manchester Police and the Civil Police in Sao Paulo, bearing in mind that Manchester United have been, as an entity have been criticised heavily for failing to handle the Greenwood fallout with the appropriate care. Surely you would think that they would be keen not to replicate that. Um, they have already been accused of swerving the issue because this actually isn't the first time that these claims have emerged. And I, I remember I sent them to you about six weeks ago and you spoke to Manchester United at the time, and and they and they sort of almost dismissed it, didn't they? Yeah, um, they, they were certainly you know quite relaxed about the situation. It, it's slightly different to, to Mason Greenwood. And you'd like to think they have learned lessons, 
because that was to a certain extent trial by social media. But he was charged pretty quickly, Mason Greenwood, from when those images started to appear online. Anthony hasn't been charged. There is a police investigation, as you say. Uh, Greater Manchester Police have confirmed that. I think once and if he gets charged, then I think United have got no option but to suspend him as they did with Mason Greenwood. But at the moment, I think they're probably playing it the right way. They made a, a brief statement, didn't they, mid- midweek after some public pressure to do so, saying they take the allegation seriously um, and, and noted that they have a duty to survivors of abuse. So I think that was probably the right tone with this statement. But it, it's an unwanted headache coming so soon after Mason Greenwood situation. But I think on this one, we are right to reserve judgment until such time as more evidence comes to light or as, until such time as Anthony is charged because it's very easy to jump to conclusions. And I, I think we're in a dangerous position. Ali McCoy said it on breakfast um, when he was pushed on whether or not United should already have suspended Greenwood. I think we are at an age now where too many judgments are made based on what we see and what we read on social media when actually we still have a, a court of law in this country. And I think that's still the best way to deal with things. And I think that's probably because of the fact that in the previous situation, Manchester United have had two situations like this recently. There was a lot more public evidence that was very difficult to ignore, whereas in this case we don't have anywhere near access to the the level of information that we did previously. So, look, absolutely right to reserve judgment and follow the protocols that should be and are in place, but it doesn't make it any easier for Manchester United, their supporters, um, for... um, Eric Ten Hag, who's got to deal with all these issues on the field, the off the field stuff that is happening. And and it's not just with the players that there are a problem, the, the owners are a problem as well, aren't they? Because all along we've had the suspicion on this podcast. If you've been listening to us over the last year, you will know I've been banging on about this for a year. I was never certain that they were going to sell this football club. I always thought it might be a little bit of a ruse. And the Glazers this week have taken the club off the market resulting in an 18% drop in the share price. So you would think, oh, well, how is it a ruse then if it's an 18% drop in the share price? Well, let me tell you. When the idea was floated in December that this club could be sold, the share price was $13 a share. The recent drop has gone from $23, so it pumped up to $23 once everyone thought they were going to sell it. It's gone down to $19 a share. So even just by going through this nine-month-long process, the share price has gone up overall $6 a share. So, well, I mean, the share price has fluctuated throughout the process, um, and I'm sure that... And it's never gone below what it was when they launched it. So if you look at the share price over the year, for a long period, it's been around about $13. They announce it, it goes up to $20-plus a share, and then it sort of hovers up and down during that sort of period in the late teens, early 20s. And then once they announce they're taking it off the market, boom, it drops down to 19. But 19 is still much higher than it was a year ago. So what you're saying, that, that, that they may well have been able to, to make a few quid during this sale process without actually ever seriously intending to sell the football club? I don't know whether they've sold any shares or not, but they've definitely increased the value of the football club over this period, yeah. yes. The, the, yeah. the only thing I'd say to, say to that, Sam, and that's quite a specific thing, is that they only make money if they do sell. So yeah. in, in in that sense... Well, they will do one day, Scott, and well, they've elevated the, the value of it. 
that's the point. I think the bigger picture, and to be fair to you, especially Quickie as well, is that you never really believe that they were willing to sell. This is the bigger picture here where, okay, share price has gone up, but you actually only make money when you sell. But the, as I say, they all was were sniffing around the market. How much can we get? Can we push, 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 push? People saying, oh, we never actually heard from the Glazers. Well, you never hear from the Glazers anyway. And they don't care about Manchester United. They just want to make as much money as possible. If they wanted, you know, they might not even thought six million was enough for them. But let's just put it out there because we don't really care about public opinion anyway. And in another three years time, maybe it's worth seven or eight million. So, you know, the bottom line is they just don't care. They don't care about the Man U fans. They don't care about football. They don't even care about making the massive amount of money that they would make from what they've bought, which was next to nothing. They borrowed the money against anyway. You know, making what would it be, Cookie? Five and a half billion if they sold it for six or what they what they put in, maybe even a bit more than that. They've taken all that money out anyway. So everything that they get now is probably pure profit. I think they'll sell in 2026 after the World Cup. If it goes yeah. well for the United States, there'll be an abundant number of people who want to buy football clubs. I think they'll buy, someone will buy it in 2026 for between seven and eight billion quid. There you go. There's another prediction for you. Meantime, United continues to get run into the ground. There's no improvement work done on the stadium. The training ground is not up to purpose compared to the likes of Manchester City. They do it on the cheap transfer windows. And and Eric Ten Hag has to keep working one hand behind his back. This is great news. Um, Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Before you continue there, because I think this is worth pointing out. That said about Eric Ten Hag having to work with one hand behind his back, the um, CIES Football Observatory did a report yesterday in which it revealed that Manchester United have the highest net spend in Europe over the last 10 years. They spent a record £1.19 billion more on transfers over the past decade than they have recouped through player sales. What does that tell you? It tells you that the people that the Glazers have employed to run the football club are not fit for purpose because they've overspent on certain players. They've been terrible sellers. You look at the Harry Maguire debacle in this transfer window. But I think also if you look at recent transfer windows, Valt Weghorst in January was a a desperate signing. Uh, So too was Sabitzer when Ericsson was injured. Two players, I quite like Sabitzer, but listen, is he a proper Manchester United player based on previous standards? Probably not. You get to this transfer window, they could have paid money for Sofie and Amrabat at any time in the summer transfer window. They held it off into the last possible minute to try and get him on a reduced deal. Actually ended up being a loan deal. I think the theory that they did it on transfer deadline day just to make it look like they're trying really hard for the fans, I think also has some substance. This club is going nowhere, really, under under the Glazers and anything that Eric Ted Hager achieves in terms of top four, in terms of winning cups, it just helps to paper over the cracks. As Sir Alex Ferguson did, actually, if you look at the team that won the league under Sir Alex Ferguson his last season. Terrible team, really. Awful side. So, you know, they've, they've got away with it for too long. To those players, actually, that's a bit unfair on those players. They did a very good job with limited resource. So, you know, listen, there's players there that you wouldn't have expected to win the league and they did a very good job. He did a good job with them. I think that's yeah, but can, can I just say, and obviously I, I've, I've criticised the, the Glazers there and I'm not here to defend them, but if you've spent 1.9, was it 1.19 billion? 1.19 billion. Well, they got a show yeah. for it. Well, the, well but, yeah, but, but they spent more than Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Barcelona, and Real Madrid during that period. They that's should have those, more to show for it. That's because those clubs, maybe with the exception of Barcelona, are properly run. They're just better run than Manchester United. 
Yeah, but I mean, and look, you can criticise them for, you know, maybe you could turn around and say, oh, well, the people they've put in place, that's down to them because they're the bosses. But ultimately, the people who were in place had decent CVs and and that they got to take a lot of the blame. Money has been spent. And even you talk about the little ball genius as well. There's a lot of players, you know, you talk about Veghorst and I'm, I would imagine Sabitzer as well would be um, uh, a, a Ten Hag sort of thought if not proper he, signing. Who else was he going to sign on a free no, if he, if he couldn't yeah. get Veghorst? But, but even even just since he's come in, I, I think you know it, it's. I think there's been a heavy influence of Ten Hag. Now, I still think is you're turning around the Titanic and he needs time, but this is not all the Glazers. Yes, we. You know, I'm not even a Man U fan and I want them out because clearly they don't care about the club. It's all about the money. And football is more than just a business. But the bottom line is there are other people that should be taking the blame here. And, you know, question marks will be at Ten Hag because recruitment is absolutely key. And I think he has a big influence in that at the moment. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm no fan of the Glazers. um, And ultimately, they're in charge of the football club. So it is their fault. But the blame does lie across the ball with so many different people. And it's, it's probably not something that you can even go into in detail on this podcast because there's so many different strands to it, how they're going to power in the first place, who they put in charge, why they put people in charge, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The fact is is that at this moment in time, Manchester United's old Trafford is not the fortress it once was. It's not this bastion of great stadia that it was for many, many years. The training ground is not up there with the elite. This is one of the biggest football clubs in the world. It does not have the best stadium. It does not have the best training ground. It doesn't have the best squad. So, you know, it, it should have best in class at least. And it hasn't had that despite spending more money than anybody else. What concerned me, and I raised this on the Sunday session this weekend, was that if you do a little bit of analysis of the transfers that have happened recently, you learn very quickly that Sofian Amrabat and his arrival on loan from Fiorentina means that a third of the 12 main signings that Manchester United have made over the past two summer windows and last January have played under Ten Hag previously. And two-thirds of those 12 arrivals are either Dutch or played in the Eredivisie, or both. What does that tell you about the club's recruitment policy and the new restructuring of the football department that happened over a year ago, Crook? Well, it tells you it's a waste of time and that Eric Ten Hag probably doesn't have faith on those above him. And if, if you look at those numbers that you've just read out, he's probably right. Um, I, I've not got a massive issue with it because I think if you look at the players that he signed, probably the jury is still out on Anthony at the moment because he hasn't been able to produce it on a consistent just basis. Just off Sabitzer and Valt Veghorst. No, no, listen, I think they're the best that he could have got at the time. Um, and as I said, I quite liked Sabit. Uh, I think United fans fell in love with Veghorst's work rate, and there wasn't anyone else who was going to come in and do that job on loan or on a free transfer. But Martinez has, has been a good signing, a bit hot-headed at times, but I think he's a good player. Malassia hasn't let anybody down when he's played. I think Eriksen had a really good first season. Unfortunately, it looks like it may have caught up with him now, and you know, possibly he's going to be more of a substitute than a, a starting player. Even Hoyland in his cameo at Arsenal at the weekend looked good. So I don't mind Ten Hag taking a, a firm hand on transfers because I think United have proved in the in the years since Sir Alex Ferguson left that they, they don't do transfers very well. So I, I've got no issue with it. Is there a danger, Scott, that this is what happens at football clubs and when you don't stay true to your structure, you put a structure in place and then a manager comes in, he does very well. And I look at Mikel Arteta in this sort of 
vein as well. And I feel it with Chelsea and, An- uh, and Antonio Conte. I remember after about six games, Antonio Conte is doing brilliantly and Ch- everyone at Chelsea is in thrall to this guy. Uh, the same with Ange Postacoglu down at Tottenham. Everyone thinks now he's, oh, he's the guy. Mikel Arteta has a good season, wins the FA Cup, changes his uh, title from head coach to manager. Then all of a sudden, their responsibility is shifted onto these messiah characters. They become, because they've been starved of success for so long, they become messiahs. You know, all of a sudden, Eric Ten Hag is a, a little boy genius because he's won the Carabao Cup and we haven't had a trophy <laughs> for ages. So let him do what he likes. Or is this a guy who's sitting there going, actually, we've got a limited amount of money. I need to get every transfer right. So I need to go back to the tried and tested because ultimately I can't afford to make a mistake. I need someone I know. Well, I don't have a problem with that. I, I generally don't. What I do have a problem with, um, and you could you could throw Spurs in the mix with United, is that the the hierarchy were going with very different styles of managers. You know what what you want. I I don't understand how a manager doesn't have a say in a transfer policy. If he's going to pick a side, he needs to like those players. He needs to appreciate what they're about. So I think he should have a major influence. But you should be going down the route of a similar manager. You know, we used the example of Swansea, you know, a good few years ago. They, they went with that type of manager. So actually, even if one went, whether he got poached or sacked or whatever, a similar style manager came in. So therefore, those players that are already there, he's not going to say, I want half the team gone, another half team come in. Spurs and Manchester United need to get down the route of recruiting a certain type of manager. I think they've both got very good styles of managers. So whatever happens this time around over the next couple of years, go for the next style as well. So you're not completely changing the squad. That that for me is is absolutely key. But I don't have a problem at all with the manager having a major say because he's the guy who trains, sees them every day and, and wants to pick the side. Uh, Jaden Sancho, will he ever play for the club again, Crook? Yeah, I think he has to because he's not going anywhere. You know, we're recording this on the day the Saudi transfer window closes. No imminent sign that he's going to be lured over there for the money. I think in some ways, and, and obviously, again, it's created a lot of unwanted headlines, but this could be this could be the turning point for Jaden Sancho and his relationship with Eric Ten Hag, because I think Ten Hag tried the arm-round-the-shoulder approach when he gave him time off to deal with his off-the-pitch issues. Obviously, he was exasperated that he still hasn't had the desired effects. I think this is a manager making one last desperate attempt to, to give Sancho a shake, really, because he's got a magnificent opportunity uh, still one of the most iconic clubs in world football. He started 56 games for United. He's made 80 appearances. And you can count on one hand the number of times that he's made any real positive impact. He earns an awful lot of money. He was signed for a lot of money. So they need to find a way to get him firing. And I hope that Jaden Sancho sees this as a wake-up call. I'm certainly not going to bash Ten Hag for these comments because he's only saying what, what he sees in training and what Manchester United fans have seen from Jaden Sancho almost from day one. There's clearly talent in there. But he just doesn't produce it on a regular basis. So frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether or not uh, this is the start of something where he's laid the law down and people react to it like they did a bit with Ronaldo. They reacted. They ended up finished second in the in the Premier League. Or whether this is again, he's laid the law down. He's a bit too authoritarian. It's a different style of management that players respond to nowadays, and it goes the other way. I hope it's the, it's the former rather than the latter. Jaden Sancho's had a history of needing a certain style of management, sort of almost. He needs latitude. If you go back, Watford, Man City, Dortmund, 
when he was at Man City in the youth team, there was always rumours about him not turning up on time or being touted to go somewhere else. When he was at Dortmund, he was fine for not turning up on time. He had some great times at, uh, at Dortmund and was a, a terrific performer. But, you know, let's not say that he's, his career over the course of the last four or five years has been without controversy here and there. Eric Ten Hag did pack him off to get some help. And I think it was hoped that that would result in an upturn in performances. And there was a brief, a brief flicker last year uh, of improvement. But, you know, I mean, I don't know what's gone on since then. There's two competing views, one from Sancho, one from the manager. Let's hope that they can resolve it. OK, we may only be four games into the Premier League season, but we've reached our first checkpoint. So let's discuss what we've seen in the campaign so far. Let's start with PGMOL and VAR and refereeing in general. We had the mic'd up show the other day. Unsurprisingly, they admitted they got the Anana situation wrong. The Kanji uh, in front of the goalkeeper against Fulham was wrong. Um, they also acknowledged the Virgil van Dijk decision they thought was right. All of those, I think we are pretty all on the same page, which is good because even if we don't agree with the referees, we agree with Howard Webb. So that's good because he's in charge. So let's uh, ask you to rate out of 10 the referees and VAR performances up until this point. Scott. Eight. Blimey. Wow. Uh, yeah. Alex. <laughs> Six. <laughs> yeah. Can we explain? Yeah, go on. You, could, you definitely can. <laughs> Very quickly. I think... People don't appreciate how difficult a job it is. I'm, and I'm talking more about the referees than I am talking about VAR. Hmm. Um, how, how fast the game is played now and how many correct decisions they do get. And yet we yeah. always we, we hear is the ones they don't get. There have been some big high profile ones. I've criticised them on, on those ones. I think sometimes it's not actually an instinct decision. It's a psychology, what, what if what could happen here? Mike Dean, what he said to, to Simon Jordan is a perfect example of that. But I'm telling you now that there's still very few big mistakes that's being made when the players on the pitch are making mistakes left, right and centre. So for the okay. referees, I think actually they're very, very high standard. Worth going back if you get the opportunity at any point to listen to the audio over the Anana uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers penalty situation where basically the, the VAR does almost everything right gets it all completely right, and then somehow, after talking himself into giving a penalty, then decides that he's not going to do so, which is just, like, it comes from nowhere. Strange. Um, Manchester City, the only side with a 100% record. Will they run away with the title? Yes, I think the margin of victory will be even greater in the last season. Scott? I think it will be uh, bigger at this moment in time, what we're seeing. Yes, because there's still teams that are, are not at the level. And I don't even think City have hit their straps yet. I know Crookie gave me a bit of stick for saying City at the start of the season. But, you know, you go with who you think is going to win it. And uh, I, any team that finishes above them wins the title. But I think they could win by seven or eight points. Okay, Arsenal winning against Manchester United did feel like a big result for them. But they haven't really looked near their best just yet. Quick word on Liverpool. Have the, They've seen off Villa. They've seen off Newcastle. Both dark horses in the race for European places. Uh, they've seen off the Saudis pretty much as well. Um, they haven't been at their best, but with Salah expected to stay until at least January, have they got a title tilt in them? Yes or no? Scott? 
Doubtful. Alex? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. But I think they're in they're in better fettle um, than a lot of those clubs that we've been talking about for the top four. I think that, that Newcastle win psychologically could turn out to be massive. I was also very impressed against Aston Villa that they played with the defence that they did and still managed to keep a clean sheet. Um, Spurs, um, I think Darren Ambrose said in midweek that Harry <laughs> Kane was holding them back, which is, seems a bit strange. Um, I think they are holding back Eric Dyer. Maybe not so much Hugo Lloris. He wanted to leave. Eric Dyer refused to leave. He's been there nine years. Has he been treated a little bit shabbily? Yes or no, Scott? It's not a yes to no answer that one, Sam, because I don't know how they have treated him behind the scenes. But if he's if he's refused to go, it, it's, that's down to him. If if Poster Cogley doesn't want him, what, what's he expected to do? Play him when he doesn't want him? Crook? I think a little bit. I think the fact he's not been picked in any of the match day squads is, is probably a little bit harsh than the fact he was being touted to Bournemouth against his wishes. I think he's been a good servant for Tottenham and I don't really understand some of the vitriol aimed at him. Just on Ambrose, by the way, I think Spurs fans do need to calm down a little bit. They've had a very kind start to the season, fixtures-wise, and they've started previous seasons under previous managers in similar form and it's all gone to uh, it's all gone to disarray very quickly. I don't think that will happen under Ange, but they're not going to challenge for the title. Yeah, listen, they're, they're very excited about Ange, uh, but they are already out of the Carabao Cup. Uh, Chelsea spent a billion pounds in a year, but have won two games in all competitions this season against the mighty Wimbledon and the hugely competitive <laughs> Luton. This is a yes or no answer. Will they be relegated? Scott? <laughs> no. Alex? No. <laughs> well, they've just about scraped. Fourth from bottom. Good news. Sam, keep the faith. Sorry, keep the faith. The Forest game was a shocking one, but I've seen enough in their performances to know that I genuinely believe they could challenge for fifth and that could be a championship. Three place. wins in 19, Scott. Relegated Bournemouth. Forget last season, Sam. Forget not, last sorry, not, season. Not relegated Bournemouth. Bournemouth the week after they'd just about survived. AFC Wimbledon and Luton. It is, uh, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Just ban me from Stamford Bridge and they'll be fine. Ban you from everywhere. Ukraine against England is live on TalkSport, 5 o'clock on Saturday night. Sunday, 2 o'clock, Kazakhstan versus Northern Ireland. Uh, Crook will be there with Jerry Taggart. We'll be back on Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, when you wake up to review the weekend's action from the internationals and do some of the big Premier League stories as well. This is Premier League All Access from TalkSport. 